Carrie, and we are Paranormal Chicks, episode 53, and it is, you know what, this is the first week of spring. Girl, I know, because you're having a pollen attack. I am. The pollen has reared its ugly head. Ugh. Never in my life has it bothered me this much. Because you're old, girl, you're old. <laughs> well, that's for the fucking birds, because I don't like this shit. <laughs> I mean, it is. For the flowers. Yeah. Birds, bees. Birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. You also don't have that. Jesus, this girl. <laughs> she ain't calling me out something fierce this week. Well, y'all, I got someone else to call out. And that is Krista S. from Wisconsin. You know what else? What? I have somebody to call out, too. All right. Melissa R., also from Wisconsin. Oh, y'all neighbors? They may. Maybe they know each other. Do y'all oh, know man. each other? Do y'all have potluck? Do you make sausage balls? Because your girl loves balls. But also sausage. Damn. Like, for real. All around. I love that. Damn. Also, do y'all know what a covered dish is? Yeah. Because we were talking about that one time at work. We were like, we're going to have a potluck, blah, blah, blah. Just bring a covered dish. And my friend Kim, she's from Louisiana. And she was like, what the hell's a covered dish? Like, why does it matter if my dish is covered? <laughs> and they were like, we were like, not they were. We were. It's like a casserole. It's like yeah. a hot dish. Like, you know, yeah. it's not that it's not about the covered. It's like a casserole or yeah, something. Yeah, not a dip. Yeah. And she was like, why didn't you just say that? Because <laughs> <laughs> y'all trying to be fancy. No, we're just being Southern. She, she. Well, Krista, Melissa, y'all can bring a covered dish. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you can bring dip. You can bring chips. You can bring, well, I got the plates and the forks and the two liters. That's always my specialty because you are in the Creepinati. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your patronage. Oh. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your generosity and also for the sausage balls. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, they have to bring those. Okay. Yes. Oh, or Rotel dip. The last potluck we had at work. I made spinach dip from one of those, like, Nor packets, you mm-hmm. know? I forgot to put the spinach in it. <laughs> That's okay, though. It was still good. It was, yeah. like, it became, like, a vegetable dip. Yeah. Instead of, like, spinach dip. <laughs> Look, you can't, there's not a lot of things you can do wrong when you put it on a Hawaiian roll. Uh, right? You don't even have to butter a Hawaiian roll. All right, now that we've covered the fucking food, which you know is more important than anything, let's get to our stories. Well, this week, I... Had a story, it was like 80% done, and I was like, Ugh, I'm just not fucking feeling it. Mm-hmm. Don't you hate that? When yes. You're just like, I did all this work, but I just don't want to. Yeah. And so I was like, it's time. Oh, shit. It's time that I just do it. Oh, God. Who? What? <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer? No. Oh. Ariel Castro. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let's get ready for me to say a lot of fuck words. And <laughs> a lot of fuck words. <laughs> yep. Not cuss, just no. variations of the word yes. fuck. Okay. Yes. Fuckery. Fuck Fuckhead. Fuckhead. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was great. Uh, if you could have seen our face. Our eyes got huge. Yeah. It, like, I kept sitting up straight here because it was like. It's when you're, like, throwing the ball and you're, like, let's not touch the ground and you're... Yes. And you're, like, you're oh, we're doing it. it. Yes. We're doing it. <laughs> I mean, do y'all do that in the pool? Because that's what we do. <laughs> what do you mean you lay out and look sexy on a raft? <laughs> we play with volleyballs. <laughs> Beach balls, I mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we're not sports. Yeah, people. we're not like it's a blow up one. Yeah, the dollar store. It's got to give you some time to move your hard <laughs> yeah. ass over and, and hit it. Okay. Okay. We well, I was gonna say we all know, but maybe we don't all know. But I feel like if you don't consider yourself lucky, true. And you know, I forget we have so many listeners from other countries. Mm-hmm. So, Ariel Castro was fuckwad. Okay, Donna also. Mm-hmm. Is just going to jump in with the Yeah, this is going to be like Rocky Horror Picture Show, and we're mm. going to have like a little soundtrack. Audience sing along. Audience participation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ariel Castro kidnapped three girls Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, and Georgina, who also went by Gina de Jesus. And he held them all three captive in, their, in his house for an ungodly amount of time. So this is kind of what I was thinking we'd do. Okay. I don't really give a fuck about Ariel Castro. Like right. his past or anything like that. I just listened to an audiobook called The Lost Girls. I talked about it in a live that may have been in the Creepy Night. I can't remember, but I told you I was listening to it. But it's a good book by John Glatt, G L A T T. Anyway, so I probably saying that wrong. But it was a good, it was a really good book. If you want to get more details of his past and how he grew up, basically, though, he's from Puerto Rico, came to the mainland, ended up settling in. Cleveland, Ohio, and he had a really shitty childhood, basically. Okay. He did have a girlfriend, Gramilda Figueroa was her name, and they had a very tumultuous relationship. And that book, I think, I felt like did a really good job of going into the detail of their just long, long, long history of abuse and and torture that he put her through too. Really? Yeah. He like he would, for, like from what I understand too, he was pretty good to her at the beginning. And it wasn't until they moved in to their house that he basically all hell broke loose, is mm. what her sisters quoted saying. And they had four kids together. He was. I don't think he really ever abused the kids, but he did her things like. Threw her down the stairs and cracked her skull. Shit. Multiple, I mean, just beating after beating after beating. Lots of head injuries to her, mm. too. And eventually, in 1993, he was arrested for domestic violence, but he wasn't indicted by the grand jury because, like, I think that's when she dropped the charges. Mm. So she just finally got enough and the, cur- I don't know, I hate to say courage because she's, Clearly courageous, but, yeah, you know, the ability to leave. So she got custody of the kids. She moved out. She moved in with a boyfriend. And, like, there was, again, just a ton of things that happened as part of that, like, custody battle. And he got, I think he got his kids to say that her boyfriend was abusing them. And just, just there was, there was a ton yeah. to that relationship. Well, she ended up passing in 2012 because she had a brain tumor that they attributed to all the head injuries that he gave her. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, like the cracked, he, you know, threw it down the stairs, broke her arm like multiple times. It just, I'm, I'm not even going to go into it, but, you know, he would chain her up in the basement. Gosh. Like, he was horrible to yeah. her. And it was like, it was almost though like that's what kept him 
from needing to kidnap and all that was because he was doing it to his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, once she left, it was kind of like, well, now what? You know? Yeah. So, Errol Castro was, what made people so like, holy shit, he kidnapped these girls, was because when you saw him, he was just kind of, you know, looked like an ordinary guy. Yeah, total ordinary. He worked as a bus driver. He played bass in a band. Like, he, you know, he just was ordinary guy. I mean, he had yeah. some stuff that was like, hmm, you know, that he like, just had just just some things as a bus driver that got him in trouble multiple times. Like one time he left a kid on the bus and like went in to eat lunch. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like kept the kid on the bus, drove the bus, like went and ate lunch, and then came back and like took the kid to school or took the kid home or I can't remember exactly how it worked out. But you know, just stuff like that. Like it was just like, have you lost your? What are you doing? Right. You know? <laughs> So, okay, let's go into the girls that he kidnapped. Okay. Michelle Knight was the first. And I feel like I have to preface this story with, I get a little defensive, and by a little, I mean a lot, on behalf of Michelle Knight. Yes. Because she just was done dirty, I feel like, by the media. Everyone. Before, well, from the moment she was kidnapped mm-hmm. until today, even. Yeah. Like, I just feel like people, she's just been done dirty. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like if she was the only victim, mm-hmm. we wouldn't really know about her. Yeah, I agree. Because she's not who the media covers. Right, you're right. And it's so terrible. And that, I'm the same way. Like, whew, bless her heart. Michelle Knight, she was born April 23rd, 1981, so she has a birthday coming up. Happy birthday, Michelle. She actually doesn't go by Michelle anymore. She goes by Lily Ann, I believe. So she was 21 years old when she first disappeared, which and she first disappeared August 23rd, 2002. Michelle had a hard life. Mm-hmm. She had a really poor and toxic relationship with her mother. She had a son that she had lost custody of, I believe because of a, a drug problem. He had gone into foster care and she was working towards getting him back. You know, got clean, was, you know, working on getting a job. She was going to all the meetings and parenting and all the things that she had to do to get him back out of foster care. Well, on the day she went missing, she was leaving her cousin's house on her way to go for visitation with her son. I know, gosh. And she stopped at, I almost said at the Piggly Wiggly. I have no (laughs) idea where she stopped. In the Lifetime movie, it was like a Walgreens. It wasn't, but it was like a pharmacy. Yeah. To ask for directions because she wasn't sure where she was going. She didn't have a car or anything like that. Like, she was taken. Walking and taking public transit. And so she's stopped in the store, wherever, asking, like, okay, how do I get to this, blah, blah, blah. Well, Ariel Castro comes up and is like, oh, hey, that's where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going that way. I'll take you. And she's like, oh, my God, thank you, because she was running late. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want to be, if she, because, you know, when you're trying to get your child out of foster care like that, every single thing you do matters. Yeah. And so if she was late, it reflects poorly on her 
that, okay, well, you don't care about getting mm-hmm. your son back because you're late. Meanwhile, she just was fucking lost. You yeah, know? everything was always against her. Mm-hmm. Once they were in the car, Errol Castro told her that he had puppies at his house, that he would take her there so she could get a puppy and go and and then be able to take one to her son. Yeah. And she's 21 and is like, okay. Well, trying to put her first, her best foot forward and, mm-hmm. you know, to win back her son. Mm-hmm. Well, practically as soon as they got to the house, he dragged her down the stairs to the basement and used orange extension cord to tie her hands and feet like around her neck too and like hung her up from a pipe like a fish and yeah. like just like a little bit away from the ground like hung her up there oh my gosh. for a very long time yeah like i'm pretty sure it was days oh my god it was at least a full day yeah can you imagine she was so flustered and so determined to get to see her son and then like what the fuck you know like she is immobile right now mm-hmm. oh God. and again for hours and hours and hours and like and he told her he was like this is where you're gonna stay until i can trust you okay well how, first of all how's she gonna build up trust because you literally have her tied up like hog tied basically yes well she was up there for so long that she you had to use the bathroom on herself. Oh, my gosh. Like, all this stuff. But he didn't care. Right. He would come downstairs and he would put a motorcycle helmet on her and then beat her in the head, her whole body. Just, like, beat the shit out of her. Rape her over and over and over again. Mm. And this went on for days and days and days. So, he kept her... In the, in the basement, I mean, he, obviously, he eventually, he, like, lit her down from that and kept her just chained in the basement and made her wear that helmet for the first three weeks. Oh, my gosh. And this basement, in the summer, it was hot. In the winter, it was freezing. And we're, so we're, she was abducted August 23rd. And so, you know, it's the end of the summer, kind of starting to go into the winter, and He would rape her, hit her, whip her, choke her, all of this stuff. She finally got a bucket that she could use the bathroom in. And then he would, like, he wouldn't let her shower. He wouldn't give her clothes. So she's in the clothes that she's urinated in. Um, Treated her so inhumane. I cannot even fathom. Like, I mean, I know, I know that... Like, him raping her and all wasn't because he was like, oh, my God, she's so sexy. Let me. I want to have sex with her. You know, it wasn't that. But I just don't understand how you know she had to stink, God love her. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was in urine-soaked clothes. Yeah. And you don't let her shower. Right. And you're, how like, at what point are you like, oh, God, she's dirty. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you, because of you. not I'm, right. And not, please know that I'm not meaning that ugly on Michelle by yeah. any means. Anybody would be dirty. Oh, God. I mean, I mean that would be anybody in that situation. So please know yeah. that I'm not saying anything ugly about Michelle. I'm saying about the situation, like, I just don't understand how he could. Yeah, like, how, uh, you know, how would you want 
that. Yeah. Ariel had her for a whole year. Mm. Just her. He finally would let her go upstairs because his house was two-story. Well, I guess you could say three because he had a basement. But the second story was bedrooms and stuff. The first, the main floor was ground level. She had a mattress, a bucket to use the bathroom in. She was chained to the mattress. She had no clothes on. Eventually, he took all of her clothes. No clothes and no blanket. And she wasn't allowed to shower. She was she was not allowed to shower for a whole year. I I that I truly cannot wrap my brain around that. No. A whole year. And I know she's uncomfortable with everything, but can you imagine like your skin would just hurt. So it she, she had well and it did. She had she had bed sores. And, and and it's a miracle. I mean, truly, it's a miracle that she lived. Yes. Because not only did he put her through, like, I cannot even yeah. imagine the depths the things, of hell. But the beatings that she survived alone. That's, mm-hmm. that's a whole not Like, the fact that she survived the, the physical abuse, period, alone is amazing. But the fact that she survived the elements of she's there was no air and there was no heat. So again, yeah. we're talking Cleveland in the summer and Cleveland in the winter. Mm-mm-mm. Freezing, you know, and so she she was naked with no blanket in the dead of winter. On top of that, there were times when she would not be allowed to use the bucket and stuff. So the bed was soiled. And so the other thing, too, is that... So so you have someone who's forced to stay in bed because they're chained to mm-hmm. it. And then, then you create all these other issues like the bed being soiled and wet and all that. You know, or she's sweating or she's mm-hmm. freezing or she's, you know. And so the fact that she didn't get... A fucking staph infection right? in her damn bed sores. Oh my gosh! And and get septic and die is like she had greater things to do in this life. Yes, yes. Because I mean, just that. I mean, I just cannot even. Yeah. Michelle ended up getting pregnant because he would rape. He, he raped her at minimum once a day, mm. but sometimes it was five and six times a day. Fuck. So, of course, she got pregnant. She's 20 fucking one years old, you know. And he, of course, was not happy about it. And so he beat her until she had a miscarriage. Oh, my God. And then when she miscarried, he said, you killed my baby and beat her some more. Fuck him. Oh, my God. That fucking maggot. (gasps) Fuck face. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, mm, speechless. I know. Aside from the physical and sexual abuse that happened to Michelle Knight, he also mind-fucked her. Yeah. You know, I mean, he would tell her that nobody was missing her, nobody loved her, nobody even cared that she was gone, all these things. And it was almost like it was the perfect storm for her when Amanda Berry— when he kidnapped Amanda Berry. Okay. Because 
after he kidnapped her, Amanda's Barry's family did all of these things looking for her. You know, they had all these flyers and searches and all this news coverage. And he would force Michelle to watch the news coverage of Amanda Barry's abduction and be like, look, nobody's doing that for you. Nobody cares that you're gone. Mm. Amanda Barry was born April 22nd, 1986. It's interesting their birthdays are a day apart. Wow, yeah. But she disappeared April 21st, 2003, and it was the day before her 17th birthday. Mm. She was working at Burger King and was walking home you know, from her job. She was super excited because she had a little bit of money that she had put away in her drawer because she was going to, I think it was like $100. She was going to go shopping for something to do with her birthday. I can't remember what it was, but she probably something at Claire's because that was me. She had her birthday party like the next day. She just had all these things coming up that her family was like, okay, she wouldn't, even if she was to run away, she would not have done it before she had a birthday party. Yeah. She would not have done it and left the $100 in her dresser drawer. You know, all these different things. They So that they could tell the police, like, look, clearly, yeah, there's some foul play here. She did not run away mm-hmm. and not take her money. Well, the last that anybody had heard from her, though, was she called her sister to say, like, hey, I'm off work. I'm getting, I'm going to try to find a ride home. A week after she went missing, Ariel Castro used her cell phone to call her mother and said, I have Amanda. She's fine and will be coming home in a couple of days, which, of course, we know she didn't. Oh, my God. What a fuck wide. Well, so she's going to walk home. You know, she's walking home from her job at Burger King. And Ariel Castro sees her and knows that that is one of his daughter's friends. He's like, hey, you need a ride. And she's like, she recognizes him as being one of her friend's dad. And so she's like, oh, well, this is this is cool. This is going to be safe. You know, he's yeah, fr- he's my friend's dad. So she's like, yeah, absolutely. Can I please have a ride home? And he was like, okay, I'll take you home. But first I got to stop at my house for, I really think it was something stupid, like to move a TV. <laughs> I think that hers, I, it was her, her or Gina DeJesus. One of them, I think, was like to move a TV. And... No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. She wasn't the TV. She was stuck on my house. And and look, come upstairs. You can see my daughter because mm, they're friends, yes, you know. And he yeah. was like, hey, come on upstairs. She noticed that most of the windows were covered. You know, there's like a stereo blocking the the path upstairs. You know, it's it's she notices something's off. But she just, you know, she follows him up there because she's going to see his daughter and she passes the room where Michelle Knight is, and the door's closed, but there's a, a hole in it, like, kind of like if you took the doorknob out and the hole's still there. Mm-hmm. And she, like, looks in it, and she sees her in there, and she's like, that's weird. And he's like, that's my weird my roommate. She's weird. Oh, and, gosh. Yeah. So he ends up attacking her, obviously, and rapes her, does the same thing, takes her down to the basement, Mm. chains her up, doesn't basically string her up like he did Michelle, but tons of abuse, physically, physical and sexual abuse, same thing, helmet on the head, same kind of MO. Well, he takes her back upstairs at some, you know, 
some point. I'm skipping some things in the timeline because this is like a huge story. Because these girls kept journals. Sometimes they would they had journals that they would just draw in to just artistic express themselves. Some they wrote in like a journal, like I can't remember if it was Amanda's or Gina's that they were like, It's day six and I've already been raped 25 times or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. So they, they kept a timeline. So it, there's a lot of information about what actually happened to them. I'm not going to go into everything because, one, I never could in the amount of time we have for this podcast. And but it's so bad. It's so bad. Just know it's so bad. A lot of people looked for Amanda Berry. She was on a segment of America's Most Wanted in 2004. It re-aired in 2005 and six. She and Gina DeJesus, who was abducted after her, we'll talk about her in a minute, they were both profiled on Oprah, Montel Williams, Sylvia Brown, the psychic that Montel always had on there, who we later found out was fake. She told Amanda Berry's mom, Luana, that Luana Miller was her mom's name, that Amanda Berry was dead and in water. And so the mom was just like, crushed by this information and totally believed her started taking pictures down off of like websites and all this stuff fuck her too Mm -hmm. sylvia brown not the mom yeah oh just god like that is criminal i know so georgina lynn de jesus who goes by gina she was born february 13th 1990 she was last seen About 3 o'clock on April 2nd, 2004. So she was 14. She was actually good, really good friends with one of Errol Castro's daughters. Fuck one. Him, not his daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so this is basically a rundown of what happened. Gina DeJesus and his daughter, I can't remember her name, are walking home from school. And he's driving past and he sees them. So he does a little Yui. And is like, oh, he's seen this girl a couple of times. She's real cute, he thinks. And he's like, oh, she's with my daughter. Let's just see what happens. Well. Like the ball. Uh-huh. So they go to call each other's parents to be like, hey, can can Gina come over tonight? And I, of course, I can't remember which parent it was, said, I think it was, it doesn't matter. One of the parents said, not today. She can come over another time. And so Gina was like, okay. And was like, I'll just go home instead of going over to Ariel's daughter's house. So she, you know, his daughter leaves to walk home. And Gina DeJesus goes the other way to walk home. Well, Pervy McPurvison decides now's the time. So he rolls up beside her and is like, hey, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah's dad. Like, you need to ride home, all this stuff. Well, so she gets in his van or car or truck or whatever the truck. fuck and goes home with him. So she never comes home. And, of course, her family's like, what the fuck? Where is she? They said that because nobody witnessed her abduction, an Amber Alert could not be issued. Mm -mm. And so her father was, like, livid. 
in 2006, he was trying to get it changed to say that this an Amber Alert should work for any missing child. Whether yeah. it's an abduction, a runaway, whatever, the child needs to be found. Yeah. We need to change the law. It was like some sketches made of who they thought had taken her, and it was like, it was nothing. Like, like it, it, this, they said that it was a white male, like 25 to 35 years of age, 5'10", 165 to 185 pounds. Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, well, he was like 53, and he was 5'7". It, they they did have the fact that he had a goatee correct, and they did have his weight correct. But other than that, all the other shit was wrong. So here's the thing. This is, this is one of the things that was so fucked up, is that because his daughter, Arlene, was friends with Gina, they I mean, they were family friends. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't just, like, kids were friends. Like, this motherfucker went to her vigils. Mm. Like chatted to her family what can i do to help part of the search parties like this son of a bitch so fucking twisted which we i mean i know that we know now too that people who do things usually insert themselves Mm -hmm. in the investigation and the search and the blah, blah 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 but you son of a bitch right gina's disappearance was linked to amanda berry's disappearance because they happened like basically a block apart yeah it was in a not so nice neighborhood in cleveland so they were linked but nobody even fucking knew anything about michelle knight like they just assumed she's 21 like that she just ran away like they they didn't even give two shits i know so like they did not even, like, they just said, okay, well, she didn't show up for her visitation with her kid. Like, who gives a fuck? Yeah, they were like, knew that. Yes, you know? exactly. Ooh. Once he had all three of them, he would only give them, like, barely one meal a day. Usually McDonald's. I bet they never want to see oh my McDonald's gosh. again. You know, McDonald's is, like, the cheapest thing to mm-hmm. get. He can get 20 fucking McNuggets for $5. You know, and there was, like, afterwards, there were people interviewed, like, that would say, you know, he would eat his breakfast at McDonald's, and then he would get, like, three more biscuits to go. And, you know, everybody was like, what? You know, why does he do that? But never questioned it. Never was like, why are you getting all this extra food? You know? Yeah. Never fucking questioned it. Well. Well, I mean, because why would you? mm -hmm. Because then it would be, like. Are you shaming me? Yeah. Like, are you fat shaming me? I mean. So what? I want four sausage biscuits. One needs jelly. One doesn't. One, one needs I mean, cheese. Exactly. God. Eventually, they were all locked in rooms upstairs. Because it was a four-bedroom house. But I think at some points, Gina and Michelle were locked in a room. Yeah. And then... But there were also some points where there was, like, a walkway. Like, not a walkway, but, like, a hole in between the rooms so that they could kind of crawl. Mm-hmm. Because they were chained, but they had... Slack. Yeah. So they could go use their five-gallon bucket. But he would keep them locked upstairs in their bedrooms. And then not only, like, did he have them up there, he would have people over. Band practice. Yes. He, he was in that little salsa band. And actually, it was a pretty big salsa band mm-hmm. in the area. Yeah, he would have them over for band practice, and he would have stuff like 
blocking so they couldn't go upstairs. But then, like, if they were just sitting around drinking, he would have the radio up really loud Mm -hmm. so that they couldn't hear anything. But if they did, he would just be like, oh, it's the house settling, you know? Yeah. Because he had the fear of God in these women. Yeah. And part of how he would do that is he would set them up to be like, I'm always watching. Mm -hmm. So he would do something like leave something unlocked or leave something unchained or whatever as like a quote unquote test. And if they got all, they like tried to leave or whatever, he would be right standing out there waiting Mm. on them and beat them. What a mind fuck. Like what a, a manipulative fuck face motherfucker it's like i mean like it's not this this is gonna sound way extreme but like the only way i can it's like psychological warfare like it's not well i don't guess i don't know the official definition but it's not but it is you Mm -hmm. know fucking entrapment the only thing good about entrapment was that Catherine zeta jones movie with it never saw it i never saw anything i don't know why you're jumping in surprise well i it's a classic so also their rooms all the windows and stuff were covered, so it was dark most of the time in there. Because it wasn't just like a, like a, a blanket. It was like a door covering yeah. the windows, you know? Well, and he was filthy himself. Mm-hmm. Like, his house was... Hoarder status. Yes. His truck, everything. Which is probably why he didn't care that he didn't let Michelle Knight shower for a whole fucking year. Ugh. And that's how, like, his friends and everything, his house was disgusting. So, mm-hmm. that you can't get up to a certain thing. It's like, well, I mean, he needs to do laundry. He needs to yeah. do whatever. Oh. He did eventually let them shower, like, once, maybe twice a week. I wonder if it hurt Michelle, like, when the water finally hit her for the first time. No, I bet, you know, when you've been really sick, like flu sick, Mm -hmm. and you have not showered in like four days because you've had the fucking flu. Yes. Or more even. It may have been five. I don't know. Depends on how bad your flu was. And it's like that first time you shower and you wash your hair and you use a wash rag and you just wipe all that off. It's just like. grime away. I can only imagine that it's her for her it was that times 52 yeah you know what i mean because they've been 52 weeks oh my gosh it's shawshank why do we always bring it back to shawshank but that's our like six degrees of kevin bacon or whatever yeah because you know when he goes through all that shit and he's standing in the rain yes yeah oh god well michelle got pregnant five at least five times bless it while she was held captive. Mm-hmm. And every single time, he would beat her into a miscarriage. He would punch her in mm. the stomach, throw her against walls, throw her against, you know, down the stairs, whatever. He would hit her in the stomach mm. with dumbbells. Shit. How did he not, like, rupture her spleen? Right. You know, I, don't, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm making that up. But, like. Think about, like, a car accident and how sometimes car accidents are fatal because, like, internal bleeding and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, how how is she alive? Mm-mm-mm. He would also starve her in order to, to kill the baby. At some point, I don't actually know how this happened, 
But Michelle had a little pet dog while she was in custody. Like, I don't know how the dog came into the house. I, I can't remember. But one time when Ariel Castro was attacking Michelle, the dog went to bite him. It like to protect Michelle. Mm-hmm. And so he just picked the dog up and snapped its neck in Ugh. front of Michelle and killed the dog. Like, mm, next level fuckery right there. Amanda Barry was treated more like a wife mm-hmm. than a captive, I guess you could say. Like, she was still treated shitty. And like I'm not his trying wife, to. That was a captive. Yes. So, not trying to downplay everything that she went through because she went through a shit ton herself. Yeah. But she was able, she had a little more freedom to move about the house, kind of play house with him, that kind of thing. Well, Amanda ended up getting pregnant as well. And Ariel Castro was thrilled by this. Oh. Yeah, it was a very different reaction than when Michelle Knight got pregnant. He was so excited. Can you imagine Michelle? No. Like, Again, it's just so much. Like, I mean, it's like nobody wants her. Yes. And that's so indirect. Like, he's not doing that to her, but he is. It is just all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Just so hard for Michelle. And yeah, everything's against her. And he made sure that he made that clear to her, too. Yeah. Again, because they had a TV and he would force them to watch. The vigils that were being held for them being missing and all of that. And so she would have to see it and see that all of this is happening to find Gina DeJesus and Amanda Berry. And nobody's looking for her. Nobody even knows that she's missing. I know. That is... Fuck. That is heartbreaking. When it came time for Amanda to give birth, he got a small, like, inflatable swimming pool and put it in the basement. And when she was in labor, he made Michelle come deliver that baby. Mm -mm -mm. Michelle was like, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. Right. Quiz what movie? All I want to say is the help, but that's not it. Gone with the Wind. Oh. Never watched it. What? Mm -hmm. Good movie. As God is my witness, I've never watched it. Okay. (laughs) But I will bring over a hot plate. Okay. (laughs) So, he made Michelle deliver the baby, deliver Amanda's baby, and... Didn't he, like, threaten her? Yes, because the baby came out and wasn't breathing. And he was like, if you kill my baby to Michelle, like, because, you know, of course, it's her fault that Uh the baby's not breathing. Doesn't have anything, in fact, to do that you have have had the most stressful pregnancy on the planet and you're delivering it in a inflatable swimming pool. Right. With no medical nothing. Yeah. N- none of that. But but he said like basically if this baby dies, I'll hold you responsible and I will kill you. And so she had to figure out how to make that baby start breathing. And she just I think instinctually knew how to resuscitate her. Yeah. And the baby lived. And so, and again, thanks to Michelle. Mm-hmm. Once Jocelyn was born, things kind of changed in the house. In that, as she got the age where she was kind of able to know stuff that was going on, mm-hmm. 
he forced them to like have dinner as a family and that kind of thing. And she called him daddy and knew that Amanda was mom. And he would take her out to like the park and to eat breakfast and introduced her to his mother. And she would call his mother grandmother and like all this stuff. And like, so some stuff she would say, like he would say that it was, his girlfriend's kid. Mm-hmm. Some stuff he would say it was his grandkid. Some stuff he would say it was his, you know. Yeah. Whatever. But he had shown, like, pictures of Jocelyn to his adult kids. All these things. So, I just need to put a little bit into perspective that while all this is going on, he has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, a very normal girlfriend. And a very normal, well, I'd say typical. I'd say normal. We're going to say typical. A very typical girlfriend, a very typical relationship. It was like with his with his first girlfriend that he had all his kids with, he couldn't separate. Mm-hmm. So he had he abused her. But with this other girlfriend, because he had the th- the three at home that he was able to abuse and rape and live out his sexual fantasies, he was able to have a more quote, romantic, meaningful relationship Mm -hmm. with this girlfriend. Also, during this time, in April of 2007, his daughter, Emily Castro, was convicted in Indiana for trying to kill her 11-month-old daughter. I did not know this! Uh Uh-huh. Janila. It was her daughter's name. She slashed the little girl's throat (gasps) four times. What? Mm -hmm. She was 11 months old. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. And then, I'm a little blurry on the facts, because some stuff, it said she, I thought, one thing said that, like, she, like, ran outside with the little girl and was like, she's hurt. I'm not really sure, but, but when police came, she was home, and she had cut herself on the neck and wrists, and so, like, because she had... Like, she self-inflicted those wounds on, you know, mm-hmm. on herself, obviously, because that's what self-inflicted me. But anyway, <laughs> when the police found her, though, she was covered in blood, mud, and water. Because she, so she slit her own neck and wrists, and then tried to drown herself in a, a nearby creek. So she got all this water and mud on her. Didn't work. So, she was arrested and sentenced to 25 years. The little the little girl lived. Thank God for that. She made a full recovery. I said recovery weird. <laughs> a full one of those. Whoa. Yeah. I had no idea. Yes. So all this and then like his oldest son is was like killing it in life, got his oh, bachelor's I, degree. I thought you meant like no. killing something. I was like, sorry, Fuck, sorry, sorry. what the hell? Was doing having living his best life. Yeah. He was getting he got a college degree in like journalism. Was working for newspapers, did like a whole article on the missing girls and stuff. Like, wow, it just is insane. There were a couple of times that police came to his house actually. Once was it was after the kidnappings, but it was about a completely separate incident and it didn't seem like he was home. So they left and just interviewed him somewhere else later when they found him. Then one time, some neighbors called because there was some, quote, suspicious activity. But the police say that there's no 
record of that call. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a he said, she said. It's all about the he said, she said Girl, bullshit. Girl, I was so singing that. On May 6th of 2013, though, Amanda Berry noticed that when Ariel Castro left the house, he didn't lock the, quote, big inside door. Because he had, like, multiple layers of locks Mm -hmm. and shit that they had to get through. So, the storm door, like, on the, the exterior storm door was locked and... She couldn't get, you know, couldn't really get through, but that big door was locked. Or, I'm sorry, unlocked. So, at first, she was like, I'm not going to do anything because he's probably testing me. Mm-hmm. He's probably right outside the door. Because he had conditioned these women so much that she was scared to do it. Yeah. But this time, Amanda Berry saw some women, like, across the street sitting on the porch. And so, she was like... It's now or never. You know, her daughter's six years old at this time. Michelle Knight had been there for 11 years. That is insane. Mm -hmm. And so it was now or never. Yeah. So she starts banging and yelling on that exterior door through the screen and, you know, knocks the bottom out of it. And I think she's got a little bit of a handout and just everybody was like, what is that? You know, not really understanding. Well, There was a a neighbor, Angel Cordero, and he's the one that, like, came, like, at first, but he wasn't really able to speak English. And Mm. so, because it was primarily, like, a Puerto Rican neighborhood, and so he wasn't able to speak English, but a neighbor, Charles Ramsey, was able to like come up there talk to her, and she's like, I'm Amanda Berry, like, I've been locked in here, help me get, help me get out. And so he tried to help her, like, kick through a hole in the bottom of the storm door and she crawled out carrying her daughter. Well, she ran across the house, you know, ran across the street, called 911 and was like, help me. I've been kidnapped. I've been missing for 10 years. I'm Amanda Berry. Here I am. Come free me, you know? So the police get there, they're walking and, and cause there had been so many quote sightings of Amanda Berry that they were like, okay, well let's go check exactly. this one out. Like, Let's just, you know, we got to go see, probably mm-hmm. not, whatever. But that book that I read would, talked about, like, those first responders, and they're walking up and realizing, fuck, that's her. And they did a really good job talking about how they, like, like the book does about how they went through the house and how they found Gina DeJesus and, and Michelle and how Michelle, like, jumped up and hugged them and was just yes. like, thank God you're here kind of thing. They were all taken to the hospital. Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus were released from the hospital the very next day. Michelle Knight stayed in the hospital for four days because she did have an infection. And later, she needed multiple reconstructive surgeries on her face because of all the beatings. Mm. And she is deaf in, I think, her left ear. Blessed. It was... Pretty much immediately, though, after they rescued the girls, that they found Castro. He was with two of his brothers in a car, and they arrested them all because they didn't know if he had any accomplices or anything like that. I mean, he's kept these girls locked up for 11 years. Like, how could he not have an accomplice, you know? But then they, you know, the 
they kept his brothers for three days before they were like, okay, we're releasing them. They're, they had no involvement. When Ariel Castro made his first court appearance, they set bail at $2 million per kidnapping charge. So his bail was set at $8 million. Because he's a fuckwad. Yes. A bunch of additional charges were pending, like aggravated murder because of him causing the miscarriages. Mm -hmm. Attempted murder, assault, charge for each instance of rape, and a kidnapping charge for each day each captive was held. Mm. So, anyway, so he ended up getting indicted on 329 counts of all the ones I just, you know, of all the ones I just read. And here's the thing, though. The indictments could only cover the period from August 2002 to 2007 because... Statue limitations and all that. That is ridiculous. Yep. Like, they were in his custody. hmm Oh, my gosh. He did enter a not guilty plea. <laughs> and, but see, okay, so his attorney is quoted saying, it's our hope. Well, basically said the char- some of the charges against him were indisputable. It's our hope that we can continue to work forward towards a resolution to avoid having an unnecessary trial about aggravated murder and the death penalty. Because they were seeking the death penalty for the murder charges for the unborn fetus. Mm-hmm. He, they did a lot to for his like competency. He was found competent. Blah, blah, blah. He sucks. So then they... like did more charges based on different dates after that. And it brought it up to 977 counts, 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 counts of rape, seven of gross sexual imposition, six of felonious assault, three of child endangerment, two of aggravated murder, and one possession of criminal tools. Wow. He pleaded not guilty. So, they, he ended up finally pleading guilty, though. And he got multiple consecutive sentences of life, plus a thousand years, all without parole. He just kept saying, like, I have a sexual problem. It's blah, blah, oh, blah. Like, he's a total piece of shit. So, he was sentenced. He was fined $100,000. So, he had to, like, forfeit his property to the court and all of that. He blamed, he said that he was a really good person, but he blamed all this on the fact that he had a sex addiction and addiction to pornography and that he practiced the art of masturbation from a young age. Yeah. None of that makes you... Absolutely not. ...be who you were. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you had a sex addiction, you could do that completely different than... Kidnapping, torturing, mm-hmm. just beyond torturing mm-hmm. people. Yep. So, one one thing that I really, really did love is that Amanda Berry's grandfather had a Chevy Monte Carlo car that, like, from the year she was born. So, the car was as old as she was. And she loved the car. She always said she wanted it. And he always promised her that she could have it one day and he always kept it hoping to be able to give it to her one day and he kept it and when they got out he was able to give that car to amanda berry there was a 
Cleveland Courage Fund that was set up to help them transition into an independent life that ended up having more than more than a million dollars in it for them. They they have all told their stories in some ways through books. Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus tend to stick together, mm-hmm. and Michelle Knight is kind of on her own. You know, when they were in the hospital after they escaped, Michelle Knight's mom tried to reunite with her, and Michelle refused to see her because they just had such a toxic relationship. She really just didn't have anybody. No, and I, I could be remembering this wrong, but in the Lifetime movie, which is from her point mm-hmm. of view, like her mom was kind of victim blaming her and stuff. Of course she was. You know, and it's like, are you kidding me? I'm alive. I survived all of this. And it's kind of like, well, why'd you get in the car with him? Or why Mm -hmm. did you do this? And, you know, all of that. And it's like, are you kidding me? This fucking bitch. Well, and then, sorry. Then I think when she found out that she was going to have money. Oh, absolutely. She was like, oh, yeah, come. I can help. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. That's what I was about to say. She... But then she quickly changed her tone Mm -hmm. when she realized that she was going to have money. Uh Opportunistic fucking fuck. Well, because nobody fucking knew that Michelle Knight was missing. And they all thought that she just flaked out on her son. Her son was adopted by his foster parents. And she was like, I want to see him, but I'm not going to disrupt his life. And God, she is so strong. And that, you know, after he becomes an adult, she'll see him. Yeah. Gosh. Like, that makes me tear up. Because y'all need to watch that Lifetime movie. It that is, is that is so, so good. good. Uh-huh. I know exactly what you're talking and, about. And, like, I have full body chills right now thinking about just, she is so, she is such a survivor. And mm-hmm. so, like, I, how do you... That he was the only thing that kept her going that whole time was to see her son again. Mm-hmm. To get out and be like, I won't see him because mm-hmm. I won't disrupt his life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For 11 years, mm-hmm. she thought about his birthday. She thought about mm-hmm. everything. And then to get out and to be so happy. And then I could not make that. I would be like. No, no, get him here now, you know, because Mm -hmm. I am so selfish. But, like, this lady, we are not worthy of fucking Michelle. I know, I know. Like, she, God bless her. So, because he had to surrender his house and everything, basically, because he had the $100,000 fine and he had no fucking money. Right. Because he was about to be foreclosed on because he had all this unpaid property taxes and all this. Anyway, the government was like, what the fuck do we do with this house? Because it's become like a tourist destination. Mm -hmm. And these poor people who live in this neighborhood, one, they're always going to see this house, look at that house and think about it. Two, feel so guilty. Yes. And two, it's not safe in this neighborhood for all these people to be traipsing in and out Mm -hmm. to come see this house. You know, what do we do with it? So they decided that they were going to demo it. And make, like, a garden and all that. Well, Michelle, being the fucking amazing and strong person that she is, was there for the demo. And she handed out yellow balloons to everybody that was there. And those yellow balloons were to represent 
children who were missing. Golly. And then the balloons were released right before Gina DeJesus' aunt began the demolition, like with the swinging of a crane to hit it. She came in like a wrecking ball. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that talks about, because I really do, you could, the book that I listened to never really said that the girls didn't like each other, but the girls didn't like each other. And part of that is, well, not part of it. It's because of Ariel Castro. Yes, that fuckwad. He would intentionally, like, pit them against one another, Mm -hmm. create this, like, competition. and, and, And I can really see Michelle in my mind's eye. Like, you know, picture her as a human being having trouble with Amanda Berry and even Gina DeJesus in that they got all this attention for the, the mm-hmm. out of jealousy, but because not she's a bad person or whatever, but because she's never had that. Nobody yes. looked for her. And again, he made it very clear that nobody was looking mm-hmm. for her because he made her watch TV. And, you know, he beat the shit out of her and killed every single one of her babies and let Amanda have a baby and then made her deliver the baby. Mm-hmm. And then if that baby died, it, she was going to die. You know, it was just like all these things. She was the punching bag and she yeah. was, she would at times when, especially when she shared that room with Gina, if he was about to do something to Gina, she would take the brunt of it yes. so Gina wouldn't because she is so young. Yes. I mean, when they were when she was kidnapped, Michelle was twenty one. So by the time that Gina DeJesus was kidnapped, they I mean they were almost ten years apart. Yeah. Yes. And so she did everything she could to protect them. They just they just didn't they don't they didn't have a good relationship, no. the three of them. Mm-mm. And so like at first they all shared an attorney a PR or whatever to protect their interests. But then I think that Michelle got her own and Amanda and Gina stayed together. Mm-hmm. They wrote their book together. Michelle did her own, you know, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I can kind of see that though, because Michelle did have very different experiences. Yes. You know, she, that house was not the same for her that it was for no, those two. She was alone. They for were over never a alone. year. Yeah. She was, but I'm saying for over a year, it was just her. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, her first year, she lay there fucking naked on a bed, freezing her ass off without a goddamn shower. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, that's why I say, like, I feel like Amanda gets a lot of praise because she went through a ton and she was very strong. And they got out because she was, in that moment, so brave that she was Mm -hmm. like, well... He he may be testing me, but I got to try. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, who knows? Yeah. Because Michelle did have an infection at that point. Yeah. And she did have to stay in the hospital longer for antibiotics and such. So there's no telling what would happen to her. Gosh. But I just, like, it's almost like rooting for the underdog yes. with Michelle, you know? Yes. Well, here's the kicker of all of it, though. Because mm, we cannot God. do this story Without talking about... I'm sorry. Major drum roll for the major fucking eye roll that's about to happen. Go ahead. This motherfucker. Piece of shit. Motherfucker. (laughs) Motherfucker. (laughs) Killed himself in prison. Because he couldn't take it. He could not take being a prisoner 
and being held captive and being locked in a cell all day. And they treated him poorly. They treated him poorly. He thought they were poisoning his food. <laughs> the food wasn't good. He thought that the that the guards were after him. All the shit. All the fucking shitty, shitty excuses from a shitty, shitty human being. Mm-hmm. He had them, and he killed himself because he could not handle... Not even a fraction. What is what's smaller than that? Right, the, like one one millionth of the torture that he put those three girls through for fucking eleven years. He could not handle it, and he killed himself in jail. Now, I feel like I want to say there's a caveat, and I am not saying that death by suicide is a cop out right. by any means. No, it's not what I'm saying. But in this situation, that this yes. motherfucker could put three people through torture for young people, fucking eleven years, and it was what like a fucking month after he was convicted. Yeah, it was ridiculous that he committed suicide in prison. Well, it was ridiculous when you hear him complaining. Mm-hmm. It's like. You're complaining, that's a fucking rich coming from you. You know, and two, this looks better than what you kept your house and all mm-hmm. anyway. So let's, come on, major side eye to you, fuck wide. Mm-hmm. But it is just, are like, like you said, are you fucking kidding me? When that came out, I didn't even know how to process that. I know. Because it is just like, when... It's just his last fuck you to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? But you know what? I don't I don't think it was. I think it was, again, I feel like I need to preface that this is only in his situation, and I'm not saying about this, about suicide as a whole. But I think that it was because he was a coward. Oh, oh, for sure. And I don't think that it was, I don't, I don't think that in that moment he was able to think, on that level, it was mm. pure self selfishness and pure, not even self preservation, because obviously it's not. But it was like I can't do this; I have to end it. Mm, and so true. he did. I, I don't think that. it had anything to do with I can't take it. But haha, fuck y'all! I'm not even gonna do. It. Like I don't think. I think it was he was so fucking scared and so weak, yeah, that he could not. Pay the piper for what mm-hmm. he did. And so he took his life. Yeah. Ugh. And yes, just to reiterate, we do not think of that in any other circumstance besides this fuckwide. Because because the reasons that he did it. Yes. Were like not e were not even close to what he inflicted on three people for eleven years. Yes. And that's my issue. Yeah, same. <sighs> yeah, so that's all I have to say. All of the girls are flourishing and living their best life. Michelle got married. Amanda has her little girl. They're living their best life. Gina De Jesus is doing a lot with Amber Alerts and families of missing children. And they are living their best lives. They've all written books. I highly recommend that you read all the books 
mm-hmm. support them in all the ways we can and forget about this fucker and be happy that they have all moved on in their lives yes. and support them in the transitions and the hardships that you know that they have to go through on a daily basis. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, every single thing I'm sure is triggering to them Yeah, with the ultimate cases of PTSD, you know? Yes. That kind of reminds me of the I Survived that we did for Patreon mm-hmm. uh, this month. This girl survived, obviously, but she endured so much after the fact, too, mm-hmm. from victim blaming. Mm-hmm. And so we know that Michelle and all of them were victim blamed mm-hmm. because people don't understand. And, you know, of course, whatever. But, like, can you imagine surviving through that and then having to survive the after no. math and it's, to it's- get back to... A life. Which, you know, one thing that we know about people who are survivors of sexual assault or or whatever, that the aftermath, the retelling, the examinations, the all of that is can be just as traumatizing as the event itself. Yeah. And so if you think about what they've had to go through with the legal process and their their families and the media coverage and yeah. the you know i mean they get they went home and there's you know they leave the hospital and they go to their families ha- homes and you know not only do they have to deal with all that well you got to think about Amanda and Amanda Berry her mom died while she was in there gosh you know her mom died while she was being held captive and she learned Because it was on TV. Gosh. You know, and so if you think about, so then she had to go home and her mom not be there. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. So it just, you know, this is just one of the saddest cases ever. Yes. But these women are fucking survivors and they were meant to do something else in their lives. For sure. For sure. Oh, gosh, my blood is boiling. I'm mm-hmm. about to cry. So many fucking emotions. Yes. This is a, this is a hard <sighs> story. It really is. Really is. And like I said, that Lifetime movie. It was good. I know. I know exactly. I watched it, too. It had the, the girl from Orange, Orange is New, New Black. Black. Yes. Oh. Her name is Taryn Manning. Yes. Oh, my gosh. She played Michelle Knight. She did yes. a good job. Yes. <sighs> okay. So now that you're officially uh, depressed and all the things. Yeah, right? You ready for your story? Like, I want to punch. Something. I want to punch dough. That's what. <laughs> make me biscuits. And gravy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your turn. Okay, now. You know how you said you had researched something and then was like, me? Mm-hmm. Well, I got this random idea. I don't even know what it was from. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Started to research it. And then I was like, oh, my God. Meh. But it's still interesting. And, I mean, you know, 80% done. You said no. And I'm like, well, it's still good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine was, I'm still going to do that one. I just wasn't doing it this week. week. You really just wanted to boil my biscuit. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I really want a biscuit. I mean, the dough, <laughs> the gravy, 
the butter, the jelly. You ain't ready for this jelly. Picture it. November 26, 1922. This was the day that the tomb of King Tutankhamun. Oh. Which might not have been. Tut? King Tut? Yes. Okay. That's what we're going to call him. Little Tut Tut. It was opened and a curse was released. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. There was a British archaeologist named Howard Carter who discovered the tomb of the little the little boy, but the boy king. That's what they called him because mm-hmm. he was so fucking young. Well, they discovered it in the Valley of the Kings, which is across the Nile from Luxor in Egypt. But when I was like reading about this, I was like, this is so fucking cool, though. Like, yeah. just saying Egypt and like the Nile, all of this... Stuff that I've learned in history and all of Mm -hmm. that, it's just like, I don't know. Whenever I lived in Houston, my parents and Casey came to visit. And that was when the Museum of Fine Arts had their King Tut exhibit. Mm. And we totally thought, like, it was good. Like, King Tut was coming. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't. No. No. Wasn't. Oh, that's funny. It wasn't. You went for a little tut-tut and had a what-what? Mm-hmm. Well, pharaohs had been buried in the Valley of the Kings from the 16th century to the 11th century BC. Most of them had been plundered and ransacked, but King Tut's was the first to be found almost entirely undisturbed. So, back up a few days, November 4th, 1922, Carter's crew discovered a little step carved into a rock. And he was about to be, like, ixnayed off of this whole thing. Because it had been, like, 11 years. Oh, shit. And they just really haven't, didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. This was a Hail Mary. Went back to the Valley of the Kings and was like, let's do this. Found a little inkling and was like, let's keep going. And... By the end of the next day, the whole staircase was uncovered. Carter wired George Herbert, I want to say, but he is known as Lord Carnivon because he was like the fifth Earl of Carnivon. Makes sense. And he was the one who was paying for all of this. Mm. So he was like, beep, boop, 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 boop. Yo, homeboy, I got the good, good. Come on. I'm sure that's exactly how that went. Yes. So, November 26th, Lord Carney, he was like, all right, Carter, let's do this. So, Carter chipped open, and it was just like a small little break in a corner of a doorway at the end of the stairs. He's holding a candle, and he peers inside. And Lord Carney, he's like, can you see anything? Like, Mm -hmm. what up? And Carter famously replied, Yes, wonderful things. He later told a reporter, quote, At first I could see nothing. The hot air escaping from the chamber caused the candle flame to flicker. But presently, as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room, the room within, emerged slowly from the mist. Strange animals, statues, and gold. Everywhere the glint of gold. Can you imagine? No. Oh, my gosh. There was evidence that the tomb had been raided twice before, but, like, 
early on by like ancient grave robbers, but it was intact, the tomb. They only got to like the little waiting room. You know, they built it all different ways to make it hard to break in. Mm -hmm. So they got, in Disney World, they got like the little waiting line, but they never even got to the ride. Yeah. And did they do something like, Different rooms with, like, mazes leading to mm-hmm. nowhere to confuse yeah. the spirits or something. Or robbers or something. It was to do robbers, I know. And then it was a certain way they had to have stuff set up for the afterlife, yeah. too. Well, the tomb was crammed with thousands of priceless artifacts, religious objects, wall paintings, and most importantly, the sarcophagus containing the king's mummified remains. Who is King Tut? This is like elevator pitch, only things that I think are interesting. Okay. I really think I'm saying his name right, but I don't know. King Tut in common. Again, Tut Tut. He ruled Egypt as Pharaoh for 10 years until his death at the age of 19. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So at 10, he became ruler. And this was around 1324 BC when he died. His rule was like, notable for reversing all the religious reforms of his father. But he was barely known to the modern world until this point in 1922. Yeah. Because his father's antics and shit, like, they kind of hated him. Because Mm. it was just like, your father did all of this bad shit, and now you have to try to erase what he did. Yeah. But then he didn't even have time, and then when he died, his successor was like, boop, boop, out with you, newsflash, I'm the ruler. Right. His tomb had remained sealed for more than 3,200 years. Shit. And with all the shit inside of it, it gave us such an incredible insight into ancient Egypt, and it quickly made him the world's most famous pharaoh. There was a documentary called Tutankhamun, The Truth Uncovered. And in it, we learned that he had a club left foot, feminine hips, and a pronounced overbite. And further testing shows that he had Kohler's disease, which is a rare genetic disorder that caused him to lose bones in his foot. Oh, God. And that condition was like excruciatingly painful, they say. This would explain why when they spoke of him, they spoke of him using a walking stick, even though he was so young. Mm -hmm. And he was the only pharaoh known to be depicted, like, doing archery while sitting. Mm -hmm. But now we can kind of see why. why. Yeah. Also, he had feminine hips. Give me a break. (laughs) Well, they say his long list of ailments wasn't of... A curse or anything. It was because of incest. I was just about to say, meanwhile, Mm -hmm. that rare genetic condition is because there were like 12 people on the planet. (laughs) This guy, Albert Zink, who is the scientific director of the Institute for Mummies and the Iceman in Italy. Damn. (laughs) I mean, put that on your LinkedIn. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But he used genetic fingerprinting and tests on the mitochondrial DNA to determine that King Tut's parents were, without a shadow of a doubt, brother and sister. Oh, no. And then the whole 
lineage. You know, it's not yes. just because his parents were ancestral. It's, yes, you know, years and years and years. Because you had to keep royal blood royal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-mm. Earlier theories suggested that he died from a chariot crash or had been murdered by a rival. But now that we know what we know about him, it was all due to, you know, their family tree being straight up. And CT scans in 1995 showed that he had an infected broken left leg. Mm. So gangrene really killed him. Shit. And he had evidence of multiple malaria infections. So all of that, it was just, I mean, he, yeah, bad genes. Well, after he died, he was mummified according to the Egyptian religious tradition, which held that royal bodies would be preserved and provisioned for the afterlife. Embalmers removed his organs, wrapped him in resin-soaked bandages, a 24-pound solid gold portrait mask was placed over his head and shoulders, and he was laid in a series of nested containers. Three golden coffins, one granite sarcophagus, and four gilded wooden shrines, and the largest which could hardly fit into his burial chamber. One, I know this is not right, but all I can think about is, like, the Russian doll yeah, That's stuff. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and it's like, well, <laughs> I mean... Not the same, but... Right, yeah. But that's that's totally what I was picturing, too. <laughs> and because his tomb is so small, they say that his death was unexpected, and it was rushed because his successor was like, pew, pew, go, go. And so, because usually they would be building and all of this for this grand tomb yeah and he's young and even though a lot of people died like when they were 30 at that time but still 19 is still young way young but so they didn't have it ready and so to get everything done they just were like oh here's a tomb that i think it was they say it was for nefertiti a female and it's like because the Entryway was to the right and not to the left, and left was for, like, dominance and just all kinds of crazy stuff. Hmm. Um, But that's not why we're here. I will say that his antechambers, which, you know, again, like, before, Mm -hmm. they were packed to the ceiling with more than 5,000 artifacts, including furniture, chariots, clothes, weapons, and 130 of his walking sticks. Okay, that's exciting. I mean, one for every fucking day. I was going to say. I mean, he, like, he just whittles in his spare time, apparently. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned before, the entrance corridor was looted soon after the burial, but the inner rooms remained sealed. And within a few generations, the tomb's entrance was, like, was kind of covered over by stone debris and built over by workmen's huts and just forgotten until this discovery. So Damn. let's continue on with that. The curse. Most versions have that Howard Carter, he found a clay tablet in the antechamber of the tomb. And a few days after cataloging it, the tale goes that 
Alan Gardner. He deciphered something that I can't fucking decipher his name. (laughs) But he deciphered the hieroglyphics and the tablet read, Death will slay with his wings whoever disturbs the peace of the pharaoh. So both of them were like, whatever. They just, you know. Yeah. Sure, sure. They catfishing us. But they were scared that the local workers would be scared away. Yeah. And, you know, they don't want to do all the hard stuff. So they're like, we just not going to mention this. Right. Don't photograph it. Don't do anything. Let's just keep this under wraps. Exactly. One of the famous Egyptologists, James Henry Breasted, he worked for Carter. Soon after opening the tomb, he said that Carter sent a messenger to his house, to Carter's house. On approaching his home, the messenger thought he heard a faint, almost human cry. When he reached the entrance of the house, he saw the bird cage had a cobra in it. Oh, God. And that's the symbol of the Egyptian monarchy. And his canary died in the mouth of the cobra. And so people were like, this is a curse. You opened it. Like, this Mm -hmm. is, you know, I mean, now in all fairness, I mean, snakes do like birds and yeah. All that, but it's just kind of fucking weird. I agree. Well, one of the inspector generals of antiquities to the Egyptian government, again, LinkedIn status, (laughs) he reported this and was like, it was his house is broken into by the royal cobra, i.e. almost as cool as Cobra Kai. (laughs) Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. You know I love Cry Kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. And, again, this is on the very day that they opened the tomb. So, it's just kind of like, what a dink. Well, with all of that, this account was reported by the New York Times on December 22nd, 1922. So, everything started to get a little, like, spooky, you know, because anything kind of weird, you run with it. Mm-hmm. The first mysterious death was that of Lord Carnarvon. Um, <laughs> Ardvark. I don't know why I said that. But Lord Carney, he had been bitten by a mosquito. And later he slashed the bite accidentally while shaving. Mm. Because, you know, he didn't have, like, Gillette for men. He had, like... A straight razor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it became infected and blood poisoning resulted (gasps) from it. Right after this, he passed. And on the same day, at the exact same time as Lord Carney dying, he's like, and I shall die. Like that. Mm -hmm. His dog howled and dropped dead in England. And he was over in Cairo. And at the same moment, all the lights in Cairo went out. Mm-mm. New York World Magazine, they started to assert that it was dire punishment because they opened the tomb and people just took that curse and ran with it. Kind of funny, Mussolini, who we talked about all back in the Solder Children mm-hmm. days, Like, just randomly. Yeah. But he was very superstitious, and he had once received an Egyptian mummy as a gift, 
And he was like, uh-uh, no, 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 get this the fuck out of here. Yeah. Because, homie, don't play that. Also to note, the guy who created Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Doyle? Um, the Doyle rules. <laughs> he said that it was called by elementals created by Tut Tut's priest to guard the royal tomb. And so with that, it's just like, oh, my God. Like, he thinks it too. And, of course, everyone's like, it's a fucking curse. Because what are the fucking odds? All of this is happening. Yeah. yeah. Arthur Wagel, I think. is. I'm so sorry. Sorry to Arthur. But he reported that six weeks before... Carney's death, he had watched him like laughing and joking as he entered the tomb and said to a nearby reporter, H.V. Morton, I give him six weeks to live. And uh, he died six weeks later. Damn. Are they Tiffany? Right. And the first autopsy was carried out on the body of Tut Tut by Dr. Derry, and it found a healed lesion on the left cheek. But as Carnarvon, Carnarvon, God, again, Carney. So Lord Carney had been buried for six months while they, then they autopsied Tut Tut. And so they couldn't see if that lesion was in the same place or anything to say, was this like kind of Tut's revenge? Yeah. You know, whatever. So, we don't know, but again, they're going to make that leap. And I say, let them. Mm-hmm. Leapfrog on. <laughs> Not sponsored. In 1925, anthropologist Henry Field was accompanied by Breston, and they visited the tomb and recalled how a paperweight was given to Carter's friend, Sir Bruce Ingram. And it was composed of a mummified hand with its wrist adorned with a scarab bracelet marked, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. Damn. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me just say, I love the gifts y'all send us and everything, but I do not need this kind of gift. I do Mm. not need... A paperweight, be it a human foot or anything like that. If you want to be Brutos, Jerry Brutos, don't need that. Anything that has death is going to come, don't need it. Well, soon after receiving this gift, Ingram's house burned down. Oh, shit. Then when he was going to rebuild, a flood took out the part that he was going to rebuild. Well... Howard Carter was pretty skeptical of the of a curse because, like I said, he was like, shh, shh, about the tablet. Yeah. Well, he did report one thing in his diary that was strange. In May 1926, when he saw jackals of the same type as Anubis, who was the guardian of the dead, he made this account because he saw them for the first time in over 35 years of working in the desert. And so it's just like, what a quinky dink after all of this time. And like I said, he had 11 years consecutively that he yeah. was looking for shit. Never saw any of this shit, any of it. Then finds this random tomb and now shit's like 
hello. Right before I'm he is from supposed the to past leave. Yeah. And all this shit. The next is George J. Gould. And he was a wealthy American finance financier. I think I actually no, financier. I thought I put fancier, but it's I spelled it right. Um, I just can't read it right. Uh <laughs> I can't do any of them. (laughs) But he was a railroad executive, and he visited the tomb of Tut-Tut in 1923 and fell sick almost immediately afterwards. Mm. And he never really recovered and died of pneumonia a few months later. Then, number four, it said that Lord Carney's half-brother suffered from the curse merely by being related to him. Aubrey Herbert was born with a degenerative eye condition and became totally blind later in life. A doctor suggested that his rotten, infected teeth were somehow interfering with his vision. And so Herbert was like, pull every fucking tooth from my head. I want to see. Damn. Well, it didn't work. He did, however, die of sepsis as a result of the surgery. Oh, God. Just five months after the death of his supposedly cursed brother. Number five would be Hugh Evelyn White, and he was a British archaeologist, and he visited Tut Tut's tomb. <laughs> hut, hut. <laughs> That's what it sounds yes, like. Yes, it does. Um, but uh, he visited the tomb, and he may have helped excavate... <laughs> Excavate. Excavate the site. God, that's a hard one. It is a hard one. I mean, it's hard to do, too. Mm-hmm. Well, after he saw all this death, and he said it was like two dozen of his fellow excavators, he hung himself, but not before writing, and allegedly in his own blood, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. Oh, my God. Yeah. Number six is American Egyptologist Aaron Ember. And he was friends with many of the people who were present when the tomb was open, including Lord Carney. Mm. Well, Ember died in 1926 when his house in Baltimore burned down less than an hour after he and his wife hosted a dinner party. Damn. He could have exited safely, Carrie, but his wife encouraged him to save a manuscript that he had been working on while she fetched their son. Sadly, they and the family's maid died in the catastrophe. Oh, shit. And what was the name of his manuscript? The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Is that kind of like the book from uh, Beetlejuice? Of course, definitely. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Number seven is Richard Bethel. He was Lord Carney's secretary and the first person behind Carter to enter the tomb. He died in 1929 under suspicious circumstances because he was found smothercated. Oh, my God. (laughs) But smothered in his room at an elite London gentleman's club, which... Could have been that he didn't have, you know, a code word, a safe word, pineapple pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit us one time with it, Carrie. Pineapple pen. Awesome. So, safe word was not used. But I think they just kind of linked him to it, though, because he was there. Yeah. 
and he was like the first person behind him to enter. And it was kind of odd that he'd be smothered in this place. But they did say that the reason why they said anything about the curse was because the year before that, there were a series of mysterious fires at the at his house and where some of the priceless little artifacts from Tut Tut was stored at his house. And that's where the fires started. But no like clear established correlation, but kind of suspect. Again, side eye that shit. Mm-hmm. And then the eighth and basically the final one that there's some, but I mean, those were like far reaching. Yeah. Go-Go Gadget couldn't even touch how far they got, you know? Yeah. But Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, he was not like up in Egypt doing all of the exca- excavating mm-hmm. or any of that. He was a radiologist who x-rayed Tut-Tut before he was given to the museum authorities. But he got sick the next day and was dead three days later. Damn. Yeah. So, there's some skepticism. Like, unlike my own that I've already voiced. But where did this come from? hmm Well, a lot of it says that... Since this was a major archaeological moment and they needed to keep the press kind of at bay and not trampling all over their shit, they started to be like, hey, it's fucking cursed, y'all. You don't want to come in here. Like, we know how to deal with this. And I mean, if someone said it's cursed, I'd be like, oh, you do you. I'll get you when you on your lunch break mm-hmm. over here. I'm at the tent. You be at the tut. Like, we good. So, they're saying they sensationalized it to keep the press at bay, but also that the press kept doing it because they got more sales of the paper. Yeah. Sound familiar? As in my story? Mm-hmm. Then there was this person named Dr. Caroline Stinger Phillip, and she proposed in 1986 that ancient mold in the tomb Ooh. could have potentially caused allergic reactions that were fatal because fruits and vegetables and other organic items were buried in the tomb. And since they were completely sealed, it's plausible that mold spores existed and remained through all of the fucking years because it's like basically airtight, like stuck up in there, you know? Yeah. And then when they get, Tap, tap, tap it in and broke it open. And then it's like moldy air, you know? (laughs) So she kind of coined this term tomb toxins. Hmm. And then it kind of went on to say like this shit that the mummy was wrapped in could have been. I mean, it's an old fucking thing. Like, yeah, shit's going to happen. And they said that Carter... When he died from the mosquito bite and everything, Mm -hmm. he had a weakened immune system and it could have been with like all the bacteria and like, can you imagine what they fucking embalmed these mummies with? So, well, you know, I mean. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. 
Because let's just be honest, what they embalm people with now and then Mm-mm. back in the day, who knows? So you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That explains everything. Because that means, sounds right to me. Logical. You say toxic, I say yes. Toxic. Yes. Toxic. No. Toxic. Maybe. But they don't, they don't really explain the death of the group very well because they all died like a little bit after the fact. Some were years, some were months. And they're saying if the tomb toxins, it would have been like, bam, bam, wham, wham, wham. Yeah. So probably not fatal. And they even said it's armchair science, which I'm like, um, we hmm. armchair detectives and we good. Right. Did you not just hear what we did on Carrie's story? Hello. I mean, we figured all the things out. I mean, hit us up, HLN. Dude, if we could be on Robin and company, Robin Mead mm-hmm. in the morning, like, I think I would have to wear the pins and also have to take some happy pills because mm-hmm. I'd be like, my mama. Oh, yeah. It'd be like 15 minutes later, my mama. Oh, <laughs> you know, because it's, like, yes. it's every 15 minutes. <sighs> I did not know that at first. And I was like, damn, I feel like I just heard this. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's good after the fact that you know it because I'm like, oh, I missed it. But, oh, it'll come back on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Tangent time over. Again, there's other things where it's like, no one, no one believes in a curse. But it's like, um... Everyone's a little superstitious on something. Yeah. We all have something. I don't say certain words if my team's not winning. You know, you have to sit in the same spot. Like, can't use bathroom. Have to be here till blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Whatever. I mean, some people don't change their underwear for, you know, a whole season. Who knows? You do you. That's gross. (laughs) But a lot of people say, all right, look. Carter did not even die from the curse because he lived until March 2nd, 1939. Hmm. However, some say that his punishment was that he had to suffer the fate of watching all his friends and associates Mm -hmm. die. And that sounds like the Green Mile. Yeah. So, maybe he was a victim of the curse after all. And it was a one that suffered long term because he was the person that tap tap tapped it into the tut tut tomb. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so, do you believe in the curse? Yes. I will tell you one thing. That shit, I am not going to mess with. Mm-mm. That shit, when the, like, just, I don't know, a year ago when the other mummy was found mm-hmm. and they're like, Ooh, we want to drink the juice from the mummy. Like, one, my mama raised me better than that. Two. I'm not trying to get his gangrene. (laughs) For reals. But, like, I'm not about that life. Mm -mm. Like, you do you. Even if it's not cursed, like, you curse with stupid ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no shade, but shade. I was going to say, no shade, but uh, here's a big old oak tree for the cylinder. (laughs) But seriously, so... It's one of those things, you can say it's a curse, you can say it's not a curse, because it's not, like, every year on this day, blah, 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 but some of these were kind of 
fucked up. Kind of like freaky. Freak, yeah. Freaky dicky. Like something's not right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really all I could find. And people threw shade at old King Tut-Tut. And I mean, not his fault that he had feminine hips <laughs> and a wide set <laughs> and a heavy flow. Oh, God. But anyway, so I just thought it was interesting. Going back way back to something I like. No, I liked it. Yay. I thought it was going to be more like more yeah. of the on this day, on this day, at this hour. But again, that's in the movies. And the movies have to sensationalize shit. But they get it from real life. Yeah. That's not so neat and packaged. So I say, unconcluded, I'm not going in no mummy tomb Mm-mm. and not drinking the juice. Well, they say, too, that some of the tombs were, like, booby-trapped and stuff, yeah. too. Yeah. So. Sorry, this, uh, my allergy. <laughs> the longer we've <laughs> talked this episode, my <laughs> my voice is going. So, you know thank what? you, allergies. This, I just solved fucking Cinderella's problem. It was not midnight that she was going to turn into a pumpkin. It was midnight that she was going to get her little morning voice going on, her deep voice. And the prince could not have that because mm-hmm. uh, you went from being like, hey, what up, girl, to hello. Anyway. Carrie has went on a whole vacation, not vacation, a whole ride of, I mean, she hit puberty. Um, <laughs> whew, but, and I had fucking dessert. So I might have sped talk. Sped talk. Sped talk. It's kind of like a TED talk. talk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. The only TED talk I will ever give. Which probably isn't that fast, but I feel like I went through that really fast. No, no, no. I liked it. Well, good. Good job. All righty. What do we learn? Well, one, I want to know if they believe in this curse. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And two, here's two questions for y'all. Okay. Do you believe in the curse? Yes. (laughs) And do you believe that Ariel Castro should have been castrated? Damn. (laughs) I mean, those are the two questions. He wasn't alive long enough to do it. Yeah. Okay, so what did we learn? We learned... Ariel Castro is a piece of shit. Garbage. Scum. He is the fucking mold spores in the sarcophagus. Fluid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Gross. Ew. Two. Two. Always, always be suspect of everyone. Mm-hmm. Especially you, your best friend that you host a podcast with. I mean, if if it's their dad and they're not with them, mm-hmm. and you don't, like, know, know him, that's weird. Yeah. I, I feel like now, not that this was that long ago, honestly, but now younger kids have cell phones and stuff like that. So if they get off work late or something, they could call their friend mm-hmm. or their parent or an Uber, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think Gina DeJesus used a pay phone. Yeah. To, so, for them to call and see if they she could stay over with his daughter. Yeah. So I feel like it's easier to say no now. Mm-hmm. But still, there's always that one time. You know, be like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so's brother, whatever. And you, I feel like 
we should just know that you never know what goes on behind closed doors. Yes, and just because it's so-and-so's something doesn't just automatically make him a good guy yeah, or a good like, girl. Ted Bundy was someone's... So-and-so. Yeah. I mean, and it... I guess we didn't really even talk about it, but, like, Ariel's neighbors were like, what the fuck? Like, he went to, like, barbecues. They would mm-hmm. have all this stuff, you know, and... They had no idea because mm-hmm. he he was kind of not a hermit because he did shit, but like he's kind of kept to himself until he was ready, probably because he's beat them all so bad and was like, mm-hmm. You fucking move. Mm-hmm. And so then he, you know, goes out, does his little thing, mm-hmm. and they had no idea. You don't, you won't always suspect the wrong people. Like, no. right. You won't always know. People are doing wrong, you know, because there was nothing out of the ordinary with him. Other, like, he was a hoarder, but that's really not out of the ordinary, you know. Well, I mean, mean, he was a bus driver. He was, you know. Yeah, he, there was no way. Like, I hope those neighbors know there was no way to know. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's scary. Mm -hmm. I saw a meme or something where it was like, if you're in traffic Probably someone, like, in a close proximity to you has murdered someone or, like, is going to commit a crime or whatever. And it's like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. You know? And, oh, my gosh. Anyway, I can go down a paranoid rabbit hole. I could could have spent this, like, the, that story to me is, like, it's so many levels. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I left out so much shit because there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, he, real like him and all of the his victims, his, and that's including the three girls that he held captive and mm-hmm. tortured, his ex-wife, mm-hmm. his girlfriend, mm-hmm. like all of that. His mom. His, yeah. All of that could be a huge podcast in mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. Okay, three. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Look, three is keep your Andy Dufresne knock, <laughs> knock, rock hammer out of people's tombs mm-hmm. and mind your business and you wouldn't get fucking cursed. Right? I mean, look, history comes at a price. I get it. But I'm, I would be... The same person if I knew that King Tut Tut had a wide butt butt mm-hmm. and he used 130 walking sticks. Mm-hmm. If I never knew that, I'd be the same. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have to get cursed. It's okay. Like, and so, certainly don't drink the fucking mummy juice. Don't drink That's the, the nastiest mummy shit juice. I've ever heard of. I don't know what. I, who, like, when I even saw that, I was like, oh, God, I can't, oh, I can't. Mm-hmm. My mouth was watering in the worst way. Like, I'm about to throw Who up. Who was the genius that was like, wait a tick? You know, someone really was a genius because they said, ooh, we're going to have to, like, scoop this out and throw it away. And then someone who probably worked at fucking McDonald's before said, uh-uh, no, 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 we can. Just, like, the burnt ends off of, like, the barbecue and stuff like that how they mm-hmm. people would be like you gotta get those burnt ends and so someone said we can charge 50 cents for it yeah. you know and hell now they yeah like, it's on the menu 
But, like, that's like McDonald's kind of thing. Like, yeah. Okay. We can make this a whole feature, and people will pay for this fucking garbage. Yeah. Oh, That's disgusting. And then, I mean, you can be like, we don't know what's going to happen because it's been 3,200 years. Mm-mm. You know? And it's like, oh, I don't want to be part of history that way. No. I want a future. Mm-mm. But you know what I do want y'all to do? To remember... Creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared. Don't drink the mummy juice. <laughs>